You are listening to AnswerCast. Hello and welcome to AnswerCast, a series of insightful conversations with leaders who are shaping the new world with their expertise and passion for technology, innovation, customer experience, global business models, marketing, strategy, and much more. Hi, this is Smita Hemige, Head of Marketing Answer. Thank you, Sunil Gopinath, CEO Rakuten India and SVP for Product and Technology for coming to our current episode of AnswerCast, where one can get all their answers. Sunil, can you briefly introduce yourself and Rakuten? Sure, Smita. Thank you. I currently lead uh, Rakuten India. You know, we are close to a 1,500-member organization and we are responsible for building uh, products, technologies, and services for Rakuten's 60, 70 plus global businesses. And, you know, I have both a product and technology role apart from a general management role for helping scale our businesses globally across Rakuten, you know, as well as scaling the India business, not only in terms of technology development, as well as, you know, B2B businesses in the India and APAC markets as well. And uh, Rakuten you know, is a conglomerate you know, we have 70 plus businesses. We were one of the first internet only companies that started 24 years ago, funding e-commerce, fintech, communications, and a whole host of other businesses. Thanks. Thanks, Sunil, for that. And I thought I'll start today's podcast with a famous quote from Steve Jobs. Innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. What we've also seen is many people confuse innovation with invention. To innovate doesn't necessarily mean discover something as exciting as a light bulb. And, um, you know, and if I have to go back and talk about definitions per se, invention more in my head is like a discovery of a new idea. While on the other hand, innovation is the successful introduction of this new idea into the marketplace. Fortunately, in today's times, innovation is far more attainable. And uh, what we've also seen in the market today is companies can't afford to stay stagnant. And that also means that they have to constantly get better, better at getting, recognizing and practicing innovation. A large part of this innovation is driven by successful business leaders who understand that if you don't continually innovate, eventually the company that you're leading will succumb to those in your industry who will create and offer more attractive products or services. They understand that successful organizations must create an innovative culture and have a new product or an offering system in place, which will embrace failure and passionately pursue improvement. So in today's edition of AnswerCast, Sunil and I are going to be talking about three things he's learned about innovation. And I'll get started right away. And you know, from my previous conversations with you, what I've understood is learning number one is about being innovative is not just about being satisfied with status quo or going with the flow, but what does innovation really mean at Rakuten? How do you push beyond the industry expectations? And how do you encourage and nurture innovation at Rakuten? Sure, sure. That's a great question. So, you know, I would like to sort of think about innovation from three dimensions. This is my perspective, as well as a lot of things that we do at Rakuten are also along these lines. The first dimension is what I call day-to-day or incremental innovations. I mean, it could be something as simple as 
hey, did you do something that's faster, better, or cheaper, right? In your domain, whatever it is that you're working in. It could be something as simple as automation. For example, in our IT team, we used to get a lot of queries from uh, employees about hardware and tools and PCs and laptops and you know systems and so on and so forth. And so in order to sort of make things simpler, smoother, and streamlined, they just built automated bots that would pretty much answer a lot of the questions coming their way, right? As in, hey, how do I get access to all of this information? Or, you know, my Wi-Fi is not working, what do I do? And so on and so forth. Or I need to place an order for a new keyboard. Even that, you know, the order placing part, they automated it. So, you know, this reduced significant costs as well as improved the speed and, uh, you know, response time for employees. So it could be something that on a day-to-day basis made life easier for employees, for customers, you know, for the business. It could also be something along the lines of, you know, one of our data science, you know, organization, right? Scientists all over Rakuten, AI and data scientists, were all sort of struggling to build their own data science tools for their modeling, for visualization, you know, a whole bunch of their regular work. The team built a data science platform, which basically helps scientists across the company, and we are close to 20,000 people, sort of look at data, analyze the data, visualize the data, you know, run their models in real time so that they no longer had to wait for this thing to go production. They could see how their algorithm is running. And basically, once they're satisfied, then launch this to production. So a tool like this really helped cut costs for scientists and also time for them to take their innovations to market significantly. And you could also do things like, you know, process innovation. If there's a certain process, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's supply chain, certain you know, delivery that needs to be optimized. And, you know, we have people working that came up with multiple different optimizations to fasten things up. So the process innovation, and, and these are some examples of things that I would put in the incremental day-to-day innovations bucket. The second bucket is what I call innovation at scale. Scale is a significant dimension that companies, you know, in the new era need to deal with, right? At least companies like Rakuten, we have tens, if not hundreds of petabytes of data that's generated across all of our different businesses, whether it's from customers, whether it's internal data, systems data, and so on. All of this data need to be curated, collected, cleaned, analyzed, modeled, and then acted upon. So um, we have scientists working every day trying to figure out, you know, how to solve this gazillion amounts of data at scale. Secondly, I'll give you another example, right? We have over a billion customers at Rakuten. So we had to build an ID management system that actually stores information about one and a half to, you know, billion or so customers, process that identity information, for example, login information, right? When customers log in, hundreds of millions of customers log in at you know, one shot. So how do you build an identity management system and then solve for the security of the data, security of the content of these 1 billion people and the data that comes from these you know, 1 billion people, right? So building this ID management system at scale and make it faster, secure, and actionable was a huge challenge. You know, and our team built has built such a system. So this to me is solving for scale or innovating at scale. I'll give you one final sort of scale example. So we, Rakuten has a payments system or multiple payment systems that spans across hundreds of millions of customers, right? Both online and offline. At any given point, anybody could be using it. Now, if the payment system goes down, you know, sort of how do you deal with that, right? So building resilient systems that are resilient to systems and are resilient to infrastructure challenges that are resilient. And there are typhoons in, uh, you know, in Japan that actually disrupt data centers or they can disrupt 
you know, infrastructure. So how do you build systems that still work or at least downgrade in a very, very graceful way so that the customer experience is not affected? Again, building those kind of technologies and innovations are innovations at scale for me. And the third dimension is what I call, you know, 10x innovations, right? So these are innovations that cause either a 10x reduction in costs or 10x increase in benefits to consumers. I'll give you one or two examples that we've worked on in the 10x, you know, innovation dimension. One is sort of healthcare and medicine. You know, Rakuten is working on a cancer cure solution, you know, using this technology called photoimmune therapy, where we uh, inject antigens uh, into the system, which goes and latches on to the cancer cells. And then we use photo emission to excite the immune system to go after the cancer cells and kill them. Now, this is a very complex uh, system because it's really unique to the individual. The treatment is very unique to the individual. And it's also very difficult to know whether the system is working or not because it takes quite a while for this treatment to take effect. And so it's not just enough for you know, biologists to go in and um, sort of look at tissue samples and so on. It takes a very long time, almost six months to go and figure out if the system is working. So AI and data scientists got together and you know, built a lot of tools and systems that looks at tissue samples, right? We look at the computer imaging of these tissue samples and we calculate the distance, you know, how near is the immune cell, which has now been activated? Is it close to the cancer cells or is it far off? If it's coming really close, it means this is activated, it's working. We look at DNA sample, you know, markers, we look at gene markers, we look at protein analysis, we look at six or seven other indicators to quickly, you know, within a matter of days, analyze and uh, you know estimate that oh yeah this system is actually working we should continue with this particular you know process for this individual and so this has helped us reduce you know the time for detection and cure from months and years to possibly even weeks we are able to you know shorten the uh, time of detection right so this to me is what i call 10x second is the mobile world right rakuten basically has disrupted the mobile world by building a mobile technology that's called virtual that uses virtualization right so we use this technology called virtual ram radio access network which is similar to sort of what vmware did for compute and storage so it virtualized it so that you don't really need 100 systems to solve for 100 customers you can actually use 10 systems to solve for 100 customers because it's actually virtualizing the rest of the 90 and gives a sense that all customers and all systems are actually getting their own version of the computer hardware, whereas in effect, it's actually virtualizing it and just giving that impression, but it's actually time multiplexing across these 10 systems to give an impression that there are actually 100 systems there, which reduces cost significantly. So by using virtualization in radio access network, we have been able to do something very similar by reducing the number amount of investments that a mobile operator has to do so let's say your original investment was $10 billion to put in 10,000 base stations across you know, Nigeria. You only now need 50% of that investment because we use virtualization to make very, very efficient use of the uh, you know, base station technology and radio access network technology uh, to deliver similar and significantly higher performance. Right? So we were one of the first 5G only mobile operator or 5G mobile operator to launch globally using this technology and it reduces significant OPEX and CAPEX costs. So this is an example of disruption that leads to a 10X benefit or cost reduction for customers. So we innovate along all these three different dimensions based on where it is needed. I hope that helps clarify our approach to innovation. 
Really fascinating and, uh, you know, love the diversity in examples that you've been able to provide, Sunil. And I think that kind of segues into our next learning from what we've understood. So I just want to draw parallels to a term that's used in a military leadership theory. It's called commander intent. And it's a way in which the superiors guide their troops through uncertainty without losing track of the goal. And what it typically means is that you paint the picture of success so strong that each soldier at any given occasion will be able to decide on a course of action that supports the desired development. So I want to understand from you, from a leadership perspective, what is transformational intent and how does this help define the goal or the impact when you're looking at, you know, with innovation at the center of everything that you're looking to do and looking to get better with better customer experience, uh, lowering costs while becoming better and optimal in your processes, you know, what do you think is transformational intent? Great question. To answer this question, let me sort of give you an example of one transformational intent. I mean, we have multiple sort of transformational intents at Rock and One of them is to make this an AI company, right? Is to how can you diffuse and how can AI be pervasive across all of our businesses? to make it a lot more uh, efficient, uh, to save costs, to be able to predict growth curve of our business customers and so on, and have a more predictive and prescriptive approach how technology helps scale businesses and you know customers, right? But as you know, Rakuten is a very, very diverse company. I mean, we've got everything from commerce to fintech, banking, video, media, streaming, and so on. One of the things that we did was how do we look at how can AI add value in each of our businesses? And uh, for example, in commerce, you know, how can we use AI for uh, supply chain and delivery? How do you use AI for you know, recommendation of products right, to customers? If it's banking, you know, we use AI for face detection-based payments, right, in, for payments. In video and streaming, we look at how do you look for language transformation, right? For example, Korean content, how are you going to give English subtitles and across millions of videos? So we use AI for that. You know, we look at how do you do content filtering so that age-appropriate content is filtered and streamed to everybody, to all of our customers. So when this kind of thing happens, not everybody is necessarily prepared to look at sort of how can AI be helpful, you know, in all of these different scenarios. And so to do this across 70 businesses is a significant task for us. So one of the things that we did was go across the company and identify a class of problems, customer needs, business needs that can be solved through AI. And once you have that, then it's a question of how do you sort of train all of our, because we're not going to go hire 10,000 AI engineers, right? You have to infuse the culture of AI. You have to infuse a broad class of problems that can be solved through AI to the existing technologists and you know business people in the company. We did a company-wide training where all managers, all the way CXOs below, understand the power of AI and where can it be used, right? What are the right problems that can be solved and using what kind of technology? And so this really helped and, and also hold them to KPI. See, one of the things is, it's not just about training people or creating awareness for AI. It is to set the right KPIs. If once we set the right KPIs across the company, for example, going forward, you're going to bring us 50% reduction in operational costs or increase in operational efficiencies. And by the way, here is a way to do it. And these are the AI systems, tools, and technologies that are available to you to make this happen. Secondly, whether if when we went into the healthcare space, 
the KPI was how do you reduce time to market from six months to 60 days? Setting KPIs at the right level, for example, if it's autonomous networks, right? If I have mobile networks, okay, if there is significant, let's say, you know, issue across the network and bandwidth went down 50, 60%, we were down data centers, we are down in terms of base stations. How do you build an autonomous system that actually self-heals and self-dries itself? This, our expectation from you is that regardless of what happens, the mobile network efficiency does not go beyond, go down beyond 10%. So this actually raises the bar to a point where, you know, our leaders, technologists themselves have no choice, but to sort of explore, how do I use AI to hit all of these KPIs, business KPIs, product KPIs, operational KPIs, cost KPIs. And so this took both a bottoms up as well as a tops down approach to making AI pervasive. And I'm really happy to say that we now are an AI first company. To me, this was a very transformative effort at transforming to the company to being a AI first company. It's a fairly interesting uh, journey and I'm sure we, a lot of us can actually learn more and more lessons from how you've been able to go on that AI first approach at everything that you do across your 70 plus businesses. But coming down to my third question, I think it's about people. And uh, while we're talking about transformation and innovation, I think in our world, especially where technology is core at everything that we do, I think it also involves having the right kind of people. And when you have people, it's about building the right kind of culture. And, you know, taking a quote from the late management guru, Peter Drucker, uh, we've always, you know, we've heard him say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I wanted to understand from you, uh, what is your learnings when you look at three F's in the culture, like the way they typically put it, fun, fail, and feedback. How important is ensuring that you have the right kind of pervasive culture that allows you to actually excel when you're going on your innovation journey? See, one of the advantages of having a get things done, no matter what culture, is that you know you, you build in the right team and the right talent with this kind of a culture, they will definitely help you hyperscale your business. In fact, you know, my own example, not just at Rupton, but also in my roles earlier, you know, I've always been in sort of this hyperscale, significant scale where you have to grow the business in the next couple of quarters, sometimes even weeks and months. And when you're in that kind of an environment, having a team with you, that's all about, I'll do whatever it takes to grow and scale this business is a huge advantage. In fact, that's the kind of team I've hired here as well as I've hired in the past. But there's always a flip side to hyperscale. To give you an example, I was working in marketplace business uh, in the past and we hyperscaled the marketplace to 100 million customers, 200 to 300,000 merchants. And in that scenario, what happens as you scale, you're scaling multiple different verticals, right? Fashion, healthcare, luxury items, jewelry, electronic goods. The flip side to that, when you scale is, what are the other challenges that are going to crop? Challenges around fraud, challenges, whether it's merchant side fraud, consumer side fraud, it's a huge issue in any market. Oftentimes we have found after launching some of these businesses that these things come back to bite you. You know, fraud can happen in extremely unanticipated ways. And there's always a balance you have to strike about, do you wait to solve all of the corner cases, all of the challenges that can crop in, you know, whether it's payments related fraud, supply chain fraud, you know, merchant, customer, and dot all the I's, cross all the T's and then grow the business because there's no way you can anticipate some of these things. Or do you, you know, do your minimum viable product where you have solved for the majority use cases and then you launch the project 
And whatever happens comes back to you as a learning for you to fix those challenges and scale them out. And it's also a fun part, you know, just to tell you something funny. Uh, I've been in situations where customer ordered television and they got a TV with no electronic parts inside the TV and uh, they had to send it back. And my philosophy there is try to do your best with respect to doing the right thing for your customers and for your business, right? If you have that approach, you're not going to compromise scale. On the other hand, you're not going to compromise basic minimum hygiene and you'll go along a middle ground that actually makes it work. Learning and feedback come together. Uh, and the other thing there is when you build a product, you know, I'd like to think about not just building for today, but also building for tomorrow. So I guess one learning and an insight that I have is don't just solve for today. You know, at the time when you're designing itself, even though you're building it as an experiment, you know, as a proof of concept, as an experiment to test the waters in the market, it's always good to have a backup plan ready so that if this thing takes off like a rocket ship and you get 50, 60 million customers, you have the design and the technology pre-built to solve for it. You know, I guess that would be my advice with respect to learning and fun and at the same time, scaling. Interesting. These are things that you rarely get to hear in the media or in any other forums. So thanks for sharing that nugget. To quickly sum up, I think innovative leaders have a lot to teach us. From my conversation with Sunil, I got to understand that one of the dimension for innovation is that it does not have to be big bank, but it can be, you know, it's what you would do every day or incremental in innovation. So also thinking about should we implement the right kind of technology like automation or can we do innovation around the process to make it a lot more optimized. Another dimension to look at would be innovation at scale, which means that with the right kind of approach, um, with the help of right kind of technology, companies can harness their scale to identify more opportunities, test more ideas and accelerate learning and innovation across their organization. A third dimension, which I particularly liked was about 10x innovation. To put the idea simply, true innovation happens when you try something and improve it by doing something 10x times. And it could be, you know, in the area of either it could be looking at reducing cost or enhancing customer experience exponentially. I think we also had an interesting conversation around Rakuten's journey of becoming an AI first company and how they've been applying the AI first approach to be the core at everything that they do, especially across 70 businesses. And that can be a big case study by itself and a fairly interesting one. And I'm guessing that none of this would be possible without having the right kind of culture, right? Which supports transformation and innovation at core. So I've enjoyed my conversations today with Sunil, where he's taken us through his three learnings. Thanks Sunil for being on today's episode of AnswerCast. It was a pleasure to host you here. Thank you, Smita. I really appreciated our chat as well. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us again for an exciting conversation with yet another leader answering the unanswered questions. Follow us on our social channels for the latest updates.